Um, I'm going to go on mute here for a second until we kick off so I can put a handful of popcorn in my mouth. <laughs> <laughs> All right, that's time. I've chewed that handful of popcorn. I think it's time to kick things off. Hello and welcome to U.S. Rugby Happy Hour Live. Thank you so much for tuning in. Happy Hour Live brings you interviews with some of the biggest names in the U.S. rugby scene. And once again, we have two big guests lined up. It's ooh, a little feedback there. We have two big guests lined up tonight. Uh, journalist and author now, uh, Martin Pangeli joins us to talk about his new upcoming book, brotherhood when west point went to war then later in the show u.s rugby seven star and social media influencer alana meyer joins us as well so stay tuned for both of them if you are listening live in listening in live on facebook youtube or linkedin tonight that's our first for linkedin you can leave comments or questions in those chats or join us over here on twitter spaces on the mobile app and you can even ask your own questions of our guests live also if you're not already following us please do so at eagles overseas and Rugby Morning to get updates on future shows and news about USA Rugby, Major League Rugby, and much more. I am Bill Baker of Eagles Overseas, and with me, as always, is Rugby Morning's John Fitzpatrick. Hey, Fitzy. Hey, Bill. How's it going? Good, man. Good. It's, a, it's been a fine Wednesday. How's your Wednesday been? Good. I'm still kind of uh, shocked by the news that Oakland DC's uh, head coach will be uh, moving over to Italy at the end of the MLR season. But, uh, yeah, yeah, excited for him, but hopefully... Oakland DC can close out this season with a playoff push. Yeah, you never know. I, I mean, is a is a coach? I mean, I guess a coach is a pretty important, obviously. But um, <laughs> maybe, I mean, I'm not putting on him that they're finishing there, or maybe getting the playoffs. But maybe a new coach would help. Who knows? Well, I get your res. I would dust off your resume. Maybe you write a cover letter <laughs> and submit it. Yes, yes. My years of coaching girls soccer puts me right there at the top of the list. <laughs> <laughs> So listen, I want to do a quick shout out. Speaking of of uh, Major League Rugby, um, I was at the Free Jacks game this past weekend, and um, there's a gentleman there, Martin Beck. He he runs the New England Grass Fed Beef Company out of Portsmouth, Rhode Island. Uh, it's the Cloverbud Ranch. Now, this is not a paid sponsorship, sponsorship or anything like that. I just want to give him a shout out because he gave me a pound of this amazing ground beef while we were tailgating, um, and he supplies a lot of the meats and stuff for the Free Jacks during the cookouts and whatever. And he also he donates 50 bucks per try during the Free Jacks season to a charity. I don't know if you've been paying attention, but the Free Jacks is scoring a lot of tries. <laughs> he's, he's giving away a lot of ground beef. <laughs> yeah. So please go to NewEnglandGrassFed.com and help this guy out. <laughs> well, Bill, you have, my, but, uh, you have my address, so you should send some ground beef my way, please. I will. It just won't be in like a, a frozen pack or anything like that. So good I'll luck getting what, that in, in a week what, and a half. For our next guest, for, for Martin, you can just, we'll hand it off to him. He can take the Acela down when he comes down to DC. Yeah. You can drop it off to my house. It'll be perfect. Put it, put it right in the U-Haul. Yeah, right in the back <laughs> of the U-Haul. That's perfect. All right. With that said, let's let's jump over to him. Uh, all right. Our first guest tonight, joining us, journalist and now author of his book, which I cannot wait to read, Brotherhood, When West Point Went to War. Let's all welcome Martin, Martin Pangeli. How are you, Martin? Very well indeed. Thanks very much for having me along. Yeah, thanks for joining us. Uh, how's your day going? Is your Wednesday good too? Uh, it was brutally busy for news. Uh, my, yeah. my day job on politics with the DeSantis stuff and Tucker Carlson's home studio being taken apart. So, oh. long one. Long one. I missed that stuff. Yeah, well, maybe I shouldn't say this now then, but as of now, we're having less technical difficulties than Elon and DeSantis did earlier tonight on Twitter Spaces. Yeah, uh I may have jinxed us, but <laughs> we'll find out. <laughs> uh, 
Uh, Martin, before we get into the book, um, your playing, your rugby playing experience has been well documented, mm-hmm. uh, none of which seems to be embellished. So tell us a bit about your rugby background. I, I believe I read you played second row. Yes, second row forward. Um, in any any rugby that was of any standard, I had to play second row. I played back row in, in lesser stuff. Um, yeah. Second row forward for a couple of clubs in Yorkshire, for Durham University, uh, for um, Rosslyn Park in London, which is the link that uh, the thing that introduced me to West Point um, hmm. by the tour game. And then I, when I was, uh, how old was I? I was tw- only 23 when I got uh, lucky and got a job with Rugby News Magazine, which doesn't exist anymore. It's, it used to be the small, mm-hmm. smaller version to Rugby World in London um, got a gig with them and stayed in rugby writing after that went to broadsheet papers as a rugby sub-editor mostly um, hmm. which playing and then again got well even spectacularly lucky married an American moved over here in 2012 <laughs> and one day decided to give Nigel Melville a call because he used to coach one of my clubs in Yorkshire he coached, oh, coached yeah. Otley when I was playing there as a cult Um and I just gave him a call to sort of write something about American rugby, see if there was something to write. And that was 10 years ago, and I'm still going. <laughs> well, welcome. We're enjoying your, your writings on, on the game of rugby, both um, here and abroad. Um, it, it was no, we, we, the more and more journalists we can get involved in U.S. rugby and the American rugby scene, the better. I mean, there hasn't been uh, a lot of names out there covering it. So, um, yeah, keep it going, man. <laughs> enjoying it. I'll try. Uh, all right. So let's jump into it. Let's talk about your book, uh, again, Brotherhood, When West Point Went to War. And, and just to say, when I was reading your 2015 Guardian article about West Point rugby, I may or may not have shed a couple of tears. Uh, if this book is anything like the article, I'm doomed. So uh, talk about the book. Um, uh, yeah, just talk about the book for us. Well, the article came about because when I was playing for Rosslyn Park in their um, Emerging Players 15, which was sort of de facto third team, maybe a sort of extra second team. Um, we played a tour game against Rosslyn Park at Aldershot, the British Army Sports Stadium. Um, we were helping them warm up to play Sandhurst and it was a one-off game. It was a game I'd never experienced anything like it because the West Point cadets were, you know, West Point cadets, they were absurdly fit. Uh, <laughs> they were surprisingly to us, to us surprisingly good um, and that's not any kind of patronizing way we thought we were going to go and play some americans and who knows what it would be like and it was a fantastic game um that was 2002 it lodged in my head uh while i carried on working in rugby in the the simplest version is i always wondered what had happened to them because that game was about almost almost exactly a calendar year before the invasion of iraq when it, hmm. um and then when i Years, years later, 13 years later, I got uh, a sports editor at Guardian US, who's still there, great man, Tom Lutz, to let me set up an interview up at West Point, go up, get the train, go there and see uh, if there was a story. And in that trip, um, Mike Mahan, the legendary coach of West Point men's rugby, was retiring for the final time. He was His office was literally full of cartons, he was packing up to go, so I just got there in time. <laughs> and he put the 2002 seniors photo on his desk, which is that incredible photo on the ended up at the top of the Guardian piece. Uh, mm-hmm. Keep your photo wearing kilts, carrying rugby balls, and 
Evie, if you just see that story, you think uh, that photo, you think, well, there's a story there. This is, you know, I was blown away by West Point. Anyway, I'm a history grad. I'm a history nut. I'm a Ken Burns nut of 30 years. <laughs> um, I was kind of in for the ride, but then he showed me the photo and um, a couple of 2004 grads were there who'd played with the O2 team who could tell me. And he pointed, he pointed, I mean, the, the, the Guardian piece is one big spoiler for the book because the book is the Guardian piece at book length. So it's not giving mm-hmm. anything away to say that Mike pointed to three players O2 team who were no longer uh, alive, no longer with us. And told me about that, so I I went away a bit daunted. One thing, I, hmm. the bizarre thing is ironic, given the what's the pat the subsequent eight years when the story hasn't let me go, is I didn't put Mike or the two hundred four grads, Mike Ziegelhofer and Ben Pafford, on record. I said, I'm not sure if yeah. I can do this. I want to do this. It'll take me all summer. I'll be back in touch. And I think they thought. <laughs> I think they thought that was a bit weird, and looking back at it, it was a mistake. Because, um, but I was just slightly daunted by the scale, the evident scale um, of the story to be told. So I spent the summer um, mostly calling, because I, you know, I'm a full time news journalist. Um, so rugby travel is a bit tricky. So I spent the time the summer mostly calling the players, points around America. Um, doing half-hour phone chats, going through things with them, and I managed to do the piece. We, we did a short video that went with it. We got lucky again. We went to do this short video about West Point Rugby. I know the uh, 2015 team were playing Buffalo up at Anderson, and Mike Mahan was there. He'd come back to watch. So I then finally got an interview with him. But that it was pure luck. It was just incompetence on my part. Um. I mean, I can I can carry on into how it turned into a book if I'm not going on at too great length. Well, well, let me jump in real quick. When um, you know, talking about that photo you mentioned, yeah. um, when I saw that, I thought, oh, that's that's a great photo they staged for the article for the book or whatever. Uh, it's brilliant. The sepia tone, the the kilts, the 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 cleats, the the bare feet. But then to realize, no, that's not staged. That's that's them. Yeah, that that's pretty daunting. Yeah, it's quite something. I watched the day I went there in 2015. I watched um, that year's seniors taking a photo, and there are only about five of them, I think, in that photo. Mm. Um, but it's a tradition, and Nineinger Hall is, you know, an old, one of the oldest buildings, if not the oldest building on the on the campus. Um, so it's just that the whole the whole place just sort of exerted its hold on me, and I don't I don't feel too bad saying that because people like Charles Dickens have had the same experience. <laughs> wow! Yeah, he did 1842. He went up to West Point on his American tour and was like, "Good God, this place is obviously it's easier for it's easier visitors, of course, and Brits and so on to go there because you're not going there as a cadet to be beasted for four years. You're going there. I'm assuming you went by horseback and you went by train. I went by. I, I, <laughs> I've developed a ridiculous affinity for the Hudson Valley line. I just, I just love it. I love going up and down. <laughs> but that's why that's why after the 2015 um story the thing stuck it went through a couple of iterations as a possible book um after 2015 i I got to know a couple of the players quite well i got to know matt blind the captain particularly well because he lives close to my wife's family's summer place in massachusetts so it's easy to go see him and have a few beers 
Um, so I started trying to make it into a book proposal by doing a few more chapters, worked with Matt on one. Um, and then I did, a, I did a book proposal where I wrote a, an op-ed for the New York Times in 2017, I think, about being an, uh, a fan of American rugby and a Brit in American rugby. And as happens all over American rugby, a, a, a literary agent who had played scrum half at Kenyon College in Ohio got in touch and said, have you got any book of this? And I said, yes. <laughs> we did. We, we put together a very, very detailed um, um, proposal. And I did, a, I did a, a couple more chapters for that. Went to talk to one of the old superintendents in DC, that kind of thing. Um, but no one picked that one up. That was shopped around to the big publishers. Like we had meetings with Hachette and uh, mm. Harper Collins, I think. Um, and no one picked it up. It was quite frustrating. It was a really great experience, but didn't happen. So the book sort of went into abeyance, but I stayed in touch with the players, and I was always wondering about it. And then <clears throat> it's kind of fate again. Um, try and do a short version. D during during COVID, I was I was down to do an interview with a, an author of a book about Abraham Lincoln, which is one of my other special pet subjects. Um, fantastic book called Lincoln on the Verge by Ted Widmer um, hmm. about Lincoln's trip to Washington in 1861, his train trip. Can't recommend it highly enough, not just because Ted got me a book deal, but partly. Um, in short order, Ted and, I, Ted and I became friends. We're having lunch. And he said, you got any book ideas? And I said, yes, funny you should ask. And I <laughs> outlined it. And he said, I know a guy who just bought a publisher who played fullback for Harvard. Ooh. And I thought, well, that's the fairy god. That's the fairy god. <laughs> <laughs> um, so the great Will Thorndike, who owns Godine Press up in Boston, which is a literary press. I'm very, very happy that my fellow, among my fellow authors are George Orwell and Charles Bukowski. Uh, <laughs> they picked it up. And there was some, we did some work on the Wow. On the um, on a new proposal, I uh, reordered some chapters, did some editing with Ted, um, and they they picked it up. So it was it was pure. It, it, I mean, yeah, yeah, I don't believe in uh, fate really, but it was it was meant to happen. This book, this is a book that tried to happen. I you know I, I cocked up a couple, <laughs> happened, and now it's happened. So I spent two years writing it. So yeah, Martin, I want to I want to go back and talk a little bit about you know, as you're putting the, the story together and you're staying in touch with the players and you know these events happened. Gosh, you know, twenty some years ago or so. Did you did the players or the participants in the book have any issues kind of revealing their thoughts to you about the events that took place in the book? Was that a struggle? Um, sometimes it's a struggle because they're twenty years ago. Um, so, something yeah. came up the other day and I was talking to to Matt, the captain, and. He's, I was like, it was a fact check, and I was like, "What do you, what do you, what do you remember about this?" He's like, "I have no idea, cannot remember." It's quite a major thing. I mean, it's not, it's not, not dramatic. We can get it, we can get it sorted. Um, yeah. There's different versions of it. There's, um, you know, the natural twenty years of trying to remember. There's twenty years of trying to remember when you were a student and you were playing rugby and you're having a good time. So you might not remember for various reasons connected to that. Um, and then much more. Um, you know, that word would be seriously or dramatically uh, in dealing with how the three cadets 
Zach, Joey, and Jim, who uh, who died died very young. In those chapters, you're asking people to remember and discuss extremely traumatic things, and um, that was each one a whole a whole experience, and a, a I mean, I guess you'd say profound. Um, mm-hmm. I'm not really a it's <laughs> by my long career in journalism I'm not really a sort of door knocking reporter I never have been um, I'm an editor and a sports writer which is different so I've constantly had to um, steal myself to ask questions I wasn't sure would be comfortable for people to answer but the degree to which people opened opened up in all cases and every aspect of the book from the other players talking about their friendships and how they knew how they found out about the guys who were di- who died um you know t- through to in jim's case at the end of the book reconstructing his final convoy with people who were in it um is it's 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 I suppose I, I, I forgot. I almost am in danger of forgetting how remarkable it was. It's been to work on it because I've just been so so immersed. Yeah, I, I imagine immersing yourself in, in the subject. Um, you really get into it. Is there was there like a moment or story or event that really maybe blew you away or, or stood out from you? Um, I mean, it is all. It's, it's all of a whole. One of the things I've promised myself for the next book, if I do another book, is not to have 15 main characters um, <laughs> in a 100,000-word book because <laughs> it's just it's, it's a bit ludicrous. Um, I mean, there's, there's plenty. There's, I don't want to... It feels wrong to single out much. I mean... Sure. In a... In a the, the book opens, with, which is something that's not in the 2015 piece, with a, a chapter about... Matt Blinn's experiences in Mosul um, in late 2004 when that city um, kicked off, blew up, whatever the word would be. Um, that's pretty extraordinary because just the way the way Matt remembered it, um, he came up with, he told me about what the, before the fighting started, what his soldiers did to keep busy, which was they put scorpions and mice in bottles and put bets on the fight. <laughs> which is just what bored soldiers will do. And it turns out with a bit of light research, it turns out it's pretty much what like Roman legionaries were doing around there 2000 years ago when they were waiting to be attacked. Um, but it, that sort of, I seized on that, whether it's a good one or not, I seized on that as a metaphor for the sort of Iraq experience. I go to uh, the scorpion and the mouse stuck in a bottle. Um, that was right at the start of the writing process. There's another point where Pete Chacon, the winger, described how he survived an IED in Mosul around about the same time, hmm. which is a remarkable passage. But it has um, that has an edge of humor. And the main the main thing about this team, and I think the main thing about any rugby team, they're sort of, they are both unique and not unique at all. They're like a you know they're it's a really good example of what a rugby team is. But the, hu- the sense of humor is constant and Pete tells the story of being wow. blown up and waking up to find that the men he was um, commanding had arrested everyone in the vicinity which is what they'd agreed to do 
if anyone if a bomb went off underneath any Humvee, there was just the, anyone who wasn't involved in it was to set a perimeter and arrest everybody, just to see if they could find the trigger man. But it turned out Pete's men had arrested a bunch of Catholics, who <laughs> had come out. The only Catholics in Mosul who had come out of the church to help, and they all got arrested because they were there. <laughs> God, <laughs> and it's just it's just ludicrous, and and and. You know, it's sort of there's a, it's a bit makes you think of Joseph Heller, that kind of thing. But it's just real life that Pete's remembering and, and talking about. Um, and you just sit there shaking your head when you're listening to the tape. Um, and then you try and you try and get it on the page. So, Martin, uh, one of the common sentiments from the cadets uh, that you know they were all battered and beaten in their first matches. Mm. Um, but then each of them said, I fell in love with it. You know, did, does that seem to be more relevant with the army or maybe uh, military sides than maybe normal? Um, I don't think it's, no, I don't think it's unique. I, again, in okay. the book, I quote um, a writer called Rick Atkinson from up near Boston. I think he's up near Boston. who wrote a book about 10 years ago called Memoirs of a Rugby Playing Man. Um, about his how he found rugby at college in the late seventies. I think he still plays. He's like sixty five, but still going. <laughs> um, he says there's a quote, something like discovering that running into the opposition full tilt was an existential moment that couldn't be faked, which is a literary way of putting it. But I think that's, I think it might be a sort of American experience to generalize grossly, but college. People who discover rugby at college, particularly if they've played football at high school, discover that existential moment that can't be fake. They discovered the thing of whacking someone with notepads. And in, in Brian Phillips's words, which I put on the, uh, I tweeted today, um, that notion that, hey, I, I'm allowed to run with the ball and tackle mm-hmm. and pass, which I'm, I'm not in my former, you know, in Brian's case as an offensive lineman. It's like, it seems, it, it, if there's ways, which I think I've already said in, in the conversation somewhere, that the West Point rugby experience sort of seems to concentrate common traits a bit and sort of show them in, in high relief because of the West Point drama and difference and so on, then that might apply. I'm not saying, I'm not saying West Point is extra special. West Point's just West Point. It's just it's unique. <laughs> um, so that, that kind of thing. Yeah, kind of. So, you, you know, uh, Martin, uh, I was just thinking about back the, the 2002 uh, match mm. that you had, and, and I wanted to ask this earlier, but uh, who won that match? <laughs> Rosslyn Park <laughs> did. Um, there is a, there's a, dis- a difference over the uh, score. It will never be known. I, mm-hmm. I was a keen little writer at the time, writing, trying to write novels. So I was keeping a diary, which I've stopped keeping now, but I kept for about 25 years. Um, and my diary says it was forty-one twenty-five to us, but the Ross, the uh, West Point tour report written by Jared Adams, the, the two thousand and two team's winger and poet and toastmaster, um, says it was forty-five twenty-one. So yeah. I suspect he might be right because he he enumerates <laughs> the scores, but I don't I don't know. Uh, hey, real, real quick, listeners, and, and before I'm going to toss over to uh, Fitzy in a second here, but listeners, uh, we've got about another 10 minutes with uh, uh, Martin Pengeli. 
if you'd like to come up here and ask him a question, you can do so by requesting in the bottom left of your app. I'm sorry, I was going to mention this earlier, but uh, we just I'm just listening and asking questions here. But you can come up and ask Martin a question yourself as well about the book or about rugby in general. Or about that match in 2002. Maybe you played in it. <laughs> but come, come on up. We'll try to get you up here as, as soon as possible. Go ahead, Fitzy. Yeah, Martin, I wanted to ask, uh, you mentioned uh, when you went up to West Point to kind of start the, the story process mm-hmm. there. Uh, Coach Mahan was, I guess, uh, retiring. Uh, what kind of an influence or impact did he have on the players? They seemed to think pretty quite highly of him as a, as a coach and as a person. Yeah, they call him Father Mahan. Um, and you can see precisely why. It's in the book. It's not. Um, it was staged in part to help the book, but, but it's also ended up in the book. In 2021, in the summer, there was a reunion up at Matt, the captain's place in Cohasset, um, which I went to uh, to get some very, very, very vital interviews and also, you know, meet the guys I'd never met but spoke to on the phone and so on and so on. And Coach Maham came. And his, his, I thought, and this is my outsider's view, his presence then, 20, well, 19 years on, was just evident. His father, Mahan, when he speaks, the players listen. And that's, that's true for, for West Point rugby players for, what, what would it be, 30-some years of his coaching there. He sort of is West Point rugby, really. Um, and I find it fascinating. Again, as a British person coming in to find out that he never played he just um came to rugby uh, as a coach at west point and came to use it as a way to shape and train cadets but never played himself which i think is absolutely <laughs> fascinating as, this is as a book it's like i keep thinking i said there's never write a book with 15 main characters it's 16 i think with Mike Mark. um you could write a whole book about mike you know you, i could write the standard thing I've said to a few people is it, I could have written, and I mean, I'm not saying I would because it's not the point, it's the it's story of the whole team, but you could write a whole book about Jim Gerbitz, um, his life story leading up to his death in Baghdad. Um, you could write a whole book about anyone's life story, and you could write a whole book about Mike Mahan's impact on West Point rugby and American rugby, I think. Mm. I, I, and i got to bring it up because the introduction... Uh, written by H.R. McMaster, three-star general, well-documented that he started playing rugby at at West Point, which from football. But how did you get a three-star general to write an introduction to your book? This is something I'm going to just – this is really bragging. Um, when <laughs> – I knew about him, obviously, because of West Point rugby. And in 2018, so before the book became a thing um, – I tried to get an interview with him when he was working for Trump as national security advisor and it didn't work. And then I said, um, if I just said, if I only ask you about rugby, not politics, would you do it? And Tony Rinell helped convince him. And he said, yes, Tony Rinell oh, being, um, Seattle, uh, Seawolves, uh, mm-hmm. eminence now. Um, so, it kind of didn't work out to do in person. I went, I went down to DC and missed him, but um, he, I spoke to him basically as he was driving away from DC with all his books in the back of his car, having been fired by Trump. Um, and we did a really good interview about rugby and the warrior ethos and stuff. And it, the reason I boasted about it was it, it, 
totally baffled the Washington press corps because McMaster didn't speak to anyone when he was working as national security advisor. Apparently, well, the story, I mean, I don't know. The story is he didn't leak. He didn't, he didn't do give interviews. So there are a few mainstream writers around saying, what the hell's this? There was a New Yorker, a New Yorker profile of him for which he didn't speak. And then about <laughs> a day after that came out, he gave a 2000 word interview to the guardian about rugby. Um, so I was quite proud of that. And he and I just stayed in touch. He got involved in the book uh, proposal process for a bit and gave me some advice um, and tried to tried to hook me up with an agent and stuff. It never quite came off, but we just stayed in touch. And I did another interview with him um, for his second book, Battlegrounds, in 2020, which was more, more about politics and his book, a little bit about Trump. Um, and then I... Through the one of the one of the great things about this book has been the absolute generosity of the old Gray uh, alumni at West Point, and I went last year um, to their weekend in March the first time to you know try and keep up with the drinking and so on, and then ended up in the bar with HR late at night. So the <laughs> uh, the in, the introduction kind of came from there. Really, it's just sort of getting have been lucky enough to get to know with this book, other than you know, readers loving it, you know, what do you want? Uh, how do you want the readers react? You know, what do you want them to take away from it? Um, there's a number of things. I, I want it to, to tell an American audience something about rugby because it's this it, literally the characters, apart from Clint Alenik, who sadly, I should have said, who, who sadly died in 2021 um, in his mm. early 40s. Apart from Clint, uh, none of the players have played before. They got to West Point. Clint played at high school in, in Colorado. Um, so I think it, 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 I'm hoping it's a vehicle for the sport. It's, um, a, it's a story. It's, impossible, it's not been possible to categorize it. Well, like Godin was slightly tearing their hair out. It's like, is this a sports book or a military book? And it's like, well, both. Um, and you're, so you're, they're, they're hoping to sell to both audiences, I guess, which will hmm. pull in you'd hope you'd pull in military people who read military books or Iraq books who don't know much about rugby and might understand it. Mm. And you'd hope that it can help in the next few years, seeding the ground for the world cups. I mean, that's, you know, thinking big, yeah. but you'd hope it could. I mean, it's, it's a, it's a, one of the early pitches in the first proposal was, uh, this is, if this was a movie, it would be Friday night lights meets band of brothers which is not as original as I thought it was because I found, I found a book about West Point basketball and Second World War, which, which said this is, a, this is like Friday Night Lights meets Band of Brothers on the front of it. It's like, oh, okay. One of the things where you think you coined something and you didn't. So it looks like plagiarism, but it wasn't. Um, so, yeah, I, I hope it can t- teach people about that. I also... You could, you could, you could not care about rugby, and I think you would still be reading. I hope you would still be reading a story about, you know, a close knit band of soldiers. And it says in the in my preface before the introduction, it it explains why it's a book about Iraq, not Afghanistan, which is basically time. Um, Afghanistan comes into it a little bit, but it's basically about Iraq because that was the dominant war when. Uh, the O2 team came out into the army and it does again it's not a spoiler it ends with the uh, the death of Jim Gerbitz in Baghdad in November 05 about the lowest point of the US 
occupation where everything was before the surge, where everything was going very wrong, where civil war was about to start. Hmm. So it's a big claim, but it's it's a book about that first half of the Iraq war as well. Right. Well, Martin, um, man, this has been a blast. I really enjoyed having you on here for the last uh, for this past 30 minutes talking about this book. Um, you know, I, I did want to ask you really quick before you go. Um, it, it, it looked like you went from Leeds to New York, New York to D.C. soon. You keep getting thrown out of cities. Uh, what did you do wrong this time? <laughs> this time? This time it's a switch because um, the Guardian editors want me to go and break some news like cover breaking news and try and break some news in Washington. So at the age of 45, I'm becoming a politics reporter, which a bit wow. late, but it's, <laughs> um, it's something I enjoy doing with the things like the book scoops and stuff. So we'll, I'll give it a go. All right. And lastly, uh, when, when does the book come out and how can readers get it? 17th of October, um, slightly later during the world cup, but still while the world cup's on and it is pre-orderable from all book websites amazon barnes and noble target and particularly uh, bookshop.org which is the site that benefits independent shops fantastic martin pingeli thank you so much for joining us uh looking forward to talking to you again soon thank you very very much indeed for having me thank you all right have a great night you too hey listener we really appreciate you tuning in to these replays of twitter spaces u.s rugby happy hour live that was just the first half of the show be sure to check out the second half and previous shows here on your favorite podcast player also please like subscribe or follow and leave us a five-star review that helps get these shows in front of more and more listeners now what are you waiting for go check out the other shows